ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. We're trying to understand processed food a little more this morning. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt. With you in the studio, Dr. Sandro DeMaio, the CEO of Vic Health. And a warm welcome to Dr. Priscilla Machado, who is a research fellow at the Institute for Physical Activity and Nutrition at Deakin University. And Priscilla, I have to say, with everything we've been discussing this morning, even hearing from Brenda just then in Bendigo, a lot of nodding coming mm. from you. In, in the work that you do, are we confused by what processed food is, do you think? Yes, good morning, Michelle and Sandra. Um, great explanation about all, what ultra-processed food is because I think that's very confusing for everyone, even mm. who people that are working in the field because it's a quite a new concept. And um, for so many years, we've had understood that uh, junk foods were those foods high in salt and sugar and fat, but actually the processing itself can be quite harmful. And we have been consuming processed foods for so many years, and that's not the problem. We had fresh um, cheese or breads, we have been consuming canned fruits and, and vegetables. Um, and every food is uh, processed in some way, even like simple rice or flour. Mm. But it's, this is totally different from ultra-processed foods. And these foods are often manufactured to copy sensory properties of whole foods. So they are added of flavors and colors, um, emulsifiers and thickeners that change the texture. And this is because ultra-processed foods are designed to make people to consume more of them, not less, and to displace or replace, substitute what um, the whole foods. So for every type of ultra-processed foods, you can see a copy of mm. a real food, uh, a dish or meal. And gosh, that's frightening, that isn't is it? That is frightening. <laughs> it, it really is. And then I guess we get stuck in this snowball because they're cheaper. And then mm. they're cheaper, so they're easier for canteens, for schools, for parents, whoever it may be, for individuals, for pensioners to purchase them. But then on top of it, you still think that you're buying bacon or pork or chicken or whatever it may be. So you think because they're made to look like a whole food and they're cheaper, you think you're consuming a whole food. Absolutely. And that's where the marketing strategies, particularly targeted to children, uh, they are just so heavily... um, well, it's hard to say to tell individuals to be more responsible when the food industry spends billions of dollars to mm. undermine that responsibility. And that's why we cannot shame people for choosing these foods because actually it's not easy to have a healthy diet when you look at the environment and we are surrounded by fast food outlets and convenience stores that sell these products mm. uh, in a very cheap way. Rochelle Hunt and Dr. Sandro DeMaio with you. And Priscilla, Dr. Priscilla Machado is a research fellow from the Institute of Physical Activity and Nutrition at Deakin University. Before we speak about the link between food and mood, let's have a chat to Lee. Hi, Lee. Hi there. What's your question? Yes, I wanted to ask about the alternative milks and whether they'd be considered ultra-processed, mainly for my daughter who is finding that maybe dairy is affecting her negatively but still would like to be able to have 
a coffee. Mm. Yeah. Milk and the variety of, and I use the word milk in adverted commas that mm. we have that are available now. First things first, the way that they are packaged, they look schmick and trendy <laughs> and healthy and I don't even drink them and sometimes I see them and I just want to buy them. Yeah. Where do we stand with understanding the health benefits or the health concerns that may be with things like the milk alternatives? Yeah, there's a growing market for these um, milk alternatives, meat alternatives, fake meats and so on. And unfortunately, most of them are ultra processed. Mm. Of course, you can find and I, I found many examples of milk alternatives, which are plant-based milks, which are not ultra processed. Mm. And this saying... Um, the specific effects of a food, it's not as important as the whole diet. Mm. And the problem is that ultra-processed foods are becoming so dominant. So Australians mm. consume um, half of the diet uh, from ultra-processed foods. And that's where the problem... Um, yeah. uh, you is. said that, I wrote that down before, Sandro, domination. You yeah. both used the words dominate or domination. Well, well, it has. I mean, these foods really didn't exist 30, 40 years ago. And they've just absolutely come out of nowhere and are dominating our diets. You know, half to two-thirds of the food we eat now uh, are made up of ultra-processed foods. And it's because of a lot of things that have happened in our lives. Obviously, work has got busier, we're more people in the workforce, more time and cost restraints. Um, and because a lot of our food has gone from being produced by you know, farmers are in the home to, to being produced by companies, which in and of itself is not necessarily bad, but it has definitely driven this rise in ultra-processed or, again, as Magda would say, Frankenstein foods. <laughs> and I think the, the milk question is a really good question yeah. because for me it brings up, you know, that it's difficult to put them into good and bad. So, so with regards to ultra-processed foods and plant-based alternative milks, there are some that are absolutely minimally, well, that are less processed than others, but there are also milks on the market um, that quite frankly, you know, you turn the label over and they create, you know, they have sort of six or seven different types of emulsified fats. They have, you know, products and, and components from all across uh, the world and all across the food system. And so it, it makes it really difficult for the consumer to make healthy decisions because they think, yeah. well, you know, these two products in the soy milk aisle look the same, but actually the degree to which they're processed, completely different. We might speak about plant-based alternatives a little later, especially when we're talking about meat alternatives. And again, people for either financial or health reasons thinking that they're doing the right thing. But Sue and Roville has sent a message, and I know Priscilla, this lends into the research that you've been doing. And she says, oh my God, triple exclamation point. I am so happy to hear this conversation. Thank you. And I will be sharing it widely. Sue, thank you. Mm. Several years ago, she says, I was plagued with migraines. After checking the labels on my food, I noticed many colours and flavours, so-called natural preservatives listed, even though I thought I was eating healthy. In the end, I removed all the flavours and preservatives and colours and my migraines dropped from nearly every day to once a month, which I actually wow. just put down to my menstrual cycle. It was profound for me, says Sue. When we look at our link between mm. food and mood, and we all know if we eat too much junk, you do start to feel a you feel a bit crap, right? It's like, you know, when you're on holidays and you think, oh, I, just, I can't eat any more hot chips because for whatever reason, you eat more hot chips when you're on holidays. It starts to make you feel a bit low. But the research that you've been doing, Priscilla, actually does link depression with ultra-processed food. Yeah, so we analysed the data from the Melbourne Collaborative Cohort Study 
which was uh, an incredible um, survey with more than 40,000 Melbournians. These people uh, were uh, followed up for 15 years and we saw that Mm -hmm. um, people consuming uh, almost half of ultra-processed food, which is the the figures for the Mm. current consumption, um, they had about 23% higher risk of developing depression, oh, wow. which means that was groundbreaking because ultra-processed foods have been associated with um, weight gain and mm. chronic disease, but that shed a light on a new way of seeing these foods as disrupting our well-being. So they have impact on our physical health and our mental health in the environment. And these foods also, um, because they re- displace whole foods, we're actually not having that wholesome of mm. having a meal, sharing a meal, having all those benefits of consuming whole meals um, and having foods that are culturally appropriate. So something that happens in in many countries and, and it's probably happening here in Australia as well, is the acculturation where people are... Uh, they are not uh, consuming the foods that they are used to as part of their culture. So mm. my immigrants that come to Australia displacing their f- traditional diets by ultra-processed foods. And that's a process that's seen in the US and uh, Canada. And Sandro, when we talk about the snowball effects of this, and if you look at the mental health crisis mm. that we are living through here in this country at the moment as well, and whether it be access to mental health services, and then on top of it, if we're eating food that is not great for our mental well-being, it's, it's then harder to get on top of anything uh, in your life and be able to see clearly and to make those decisions. It's just it sort of feels like a bit of a beast that we have to try and tame at the moment. Uh, it really is. I mean, and it comes back to, again, this statistic that sort of 50% of our diets are, name, are now made up from ultra-processed foods. And again, Rochelle, I think it's really important to say that I'm not judging anyone. Yes. You know, this yep. is not about judging people for what they eat. It's about saying that the environment, you know, the cost of food, uh, the, the the availability of food for so many is so difficult now that these foods have become, you know, the only affordable way to put food on the table or to restock the pantry. And, and we've known for a long time that these foods, that ultra-processed foods, separate from just the, the components inside, but actually the, the process of breaking the food down and rebuilding it, uh, taking out, stripping out a lot of the, the beneficial nutrients, but also taking away the process of, of cooking and sharing food in, along the way. We've known that it's been associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, inflammation, a range of different Mm. disease outcomes. But to see here in an Australian population, in a Victorian population of this size, 23,000 Australians studied a a 23% increase in something like depression, which very often people don't connect mental health with their diet. And particularly with this this group of, of foods that, you know, we're not really empowered to even know we're consuming. That's exactly you know, that's, right. We that's think the we're challenge. eating that's whole the challenge foods. here. Herbie's in Northcote. Good morning, Herbie. Yes, good morning, Rochelle. Um, I feel our politicians should have some courage and some backbone and fight against actually the lobbyists. I mean, you have the lobbyists in mining, lobbyists obviously in food and other things, but really it boils down to having proper labeling, um, clear labeling, and being probably a pain to the producer or um, 
retailer in the end. But the fact is, who is it for? It's for the end, consu- con- end consumer. Yeah. And if you don't do that, costs will go- skyrocket. Do you, I mean, when you look at your studies, Priscilla, and overseas, is Herbie right? Does the government need to do more here rather than relying on individuals to think that we're doing the right thing? Yes, absolutely. So we need governments to create policies that help people to have healthier diets. And in this sense, of course, we need to improve communication around ultra-processed foods. This means mass campaigns and how this information is um, arrives at the, um, at the com- consumers. And there's a lot of noise in this discussion and unfortunately the food industry interferes a bit on this communication and that's why I can't blame people for not understanding much of this concept. So it's very important to improve communication through labeling as well and also more importantly things that actually change the environment, make these foods make actually healthy foods more affordable, um, make healthy foods more mm. available and difficult in a way that discourage people to consume ultra-processed foods. How many times, Sandra, have we spoken about the new estates, housing estates mm. are built, that there will be um, multiple fast food outlets put in place before access to fresh fruit and vegetables? I mean, these are things that... Well, and also, and also affordability, Rochelle. You know, mm. the cost of living is increasing so quickly and the cost of food over the last few years. We know that ultra-processed foods are much cheaper to make because, you know, the, the company making these products, they don't pay for the health outcomes. They don't pay for the societal fallout of, these, of, these, of, of the consumption of these foods. So we see them discounted more heavily. You know, go to the local supermarket, look at what is on the end of the aisle in your local supermarket this week, what is on half price, mm. and I guarantee that most of the foods uh, at the end of the aisle on half price are ultra processed. And you're so right in that this is not about shaming or guilting people at all because if you look at, let's say you've got a family of four to mm. feed and if you are meat eaters and if you look at the price of, let's use chicken again, but if you would look at the price of chicken breast to say make your oh, own chicken expensive. schnitzel yeah. as opposed to what looks like chicken schnitzel that is actually processed meat, the difference mm. is huge. And one is going to put a what you think is a piece of protein and some vegetables on your family's plate uh, and, and the other is real food. Judy's in the Goulburn Valley. Hi, Judy. Oh, good morning, Michelle. Um, I'm glad you've got this post, um, program on this morning. For years, since my husband um, stopped work at the piggery, the local piggery, which was here um, and closed down probably 20 years ago now, I've hardly bought any bacon mm. because you go to the delicatessen, you know, following on what that other um, caller said, and it'll say 10% Australian product. So 90% of that rasher of bacon comes from somewhere else outside Australia. But it, unlike the um, almond milk and the soy milk, it doesn't have a list of the ingredients. Mm. All it yeah. is 10% Australian product. So what else is in that rasher of bacon? Transparency in labelling is something we're going to speak about with Professor Gary Sachs in just a moment. A couple of quick questions for you on text before we speak to the Council Council about some of the links and the research that they're working on as well. Tinned baked beans, are they considered ultra-processed food? 
Not necessarily. So they can be just beans in water or even with salt and this is just a processed food, not ultra processed. Mm. Fake meat. Can What about fake meat or meat alternatives? Because that's a huge growing it market is. over the yes. sort of the last couple of years. But sometimes when you look at veggie burgers or plant-based burgers and you flip them over, you've got no idea what the ingredients are. Yeah, so the veggie burgers from the cafe wouldn't be ultra processed, very mm-hmm. unlikely. But those ones that you buy package, they are made of soy proteins and they add flavors and colors, so they are ultra processed. Mm. What do you think about buying pre-prepared meals for convenience? Because we've seen a huge rise in not only ones that you can buy from supermarkets, but even ones that can be delivered to your door now mm-hmm. and all marketed to make life easier for you. How careful do we need to be about products like that? Well, there's a bit, there's a big mix really out there. So um, there are some that are made locally that are minimally processed and actually very healthy and, and great ways of getting a diverse, more diverse diet. It's hard to cook, you know, if you're living alone, if you're working long hours. Um, but, but there are also many that are very high in salt and, you know, would be uh, very processed, if not ultra processed. So, you know, this is, a, again, a good example where um, you either need to turn over the label, which, you know, very few people have time for. And then, quite frankly, I have a PhD in public health and I still can't make <laughs> sense of, a, of an ingredients list half the time. Um, or we need better labelling to really be able to navigate that, that murky world. Can I just add to that? I think those um, meals that are produced by small business, you know, mm. or local restaurants, they are they're great, and we are supporting the community as well. So there are ways uh, to have convenient foods, which supermarkets are making at the moment, which are not ultra processed, mm. and it's probably a way moving forward because, of course, there's the price, but the price input in terms of time that you 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 will cry to and make these foods from scratch at home. So, And we are interestingly seeing a, a really big rise. One of the megatrends in, in food over the last couple of years has been the rise not just of ready-made but sort of semi-ready-made. So foods that maybe come vegetables chopped up or partly made or ready-made but fresh from the supermarket as opposed to kind of deep frozen. We've seen a big increase in the, the availability of those and the diversity that's available and many of them small businesses yeah, based here in Victoria. And they're all really great alternatives if you're looking to cook a little less. Well, because the idea of convenience and convenience food has generally gone hand in hand with, with ultra processed hi- high and junk, yeah. highly ultra-processed food, and it doesn't necessarily need to be the case. Dr. Sandro Jameo is with you, CEO of VicHealth, as is Dr. Priscilla Machado. She is a research fellow from the Institute for Physical Activity and Nutrition at Deakin University. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. We're talking about processed food and ultra-processed food and you may think, I don't eat any ultra-processed food. And then you start to break down some of the elements, some of the products, whether it be milk or meat alternatives. We're hearing lots of different stories about different types of meats that we're eating. And all of a sudden you start to realise that you are eating processed food. So what kind of impact is that having on our health and on our mood? And it's not necessarily our fault. That's the thing. A lot of us feel like we are doing the best that we can with the time that we have and the money that we had. This text from Rosa, it says, the labelling is tiny and it's just almost impossible to read. And many people talking about the stocks that we use as well. So before we take a few more calls, chicken and beef stock, because this is a bit of a bugbear of mine and in Wangaratta who sent this through as well. You have to be like, you think you make a nice chicken soup, for example, this mum, I don't have time to make her own chicken stock <laughs> half the no time. No one has time to make a chicken stock. <laughs> so I will buy pre-made yeah. chicken stock, but I 
it costs more to buy one that is proper chicken stock and that mm. isn't, once you read through it, is just... I think it says like chicken flavour or chicken extract. So I don't know how the hell they're getting an extract out of a chicken. So yeah. even the stock that we're using, we need to be careful of, don't we? Absolutely, they are often ultra processed, and I think all these stocks and um, the seasons that we buy, uh, it's actually quite they 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 replace the fact they they substitute us buying onions and garlic mm. and other vegetables that would buy to prepare in season in season food. So it seems quite quite tiny the impact that this seasoning mm. might have. But in the end of the day, you just stop buying all the other vegetables you would buy to, to, to cook this. this and I, th- I think, uh, the, again, turn... It's, it's easier said than done, but turn the label over and there are powdered stocks that actually I use one that's a vegetarian stock it only has um, relatively natural ingredients they're kind of powders from vegetables it is processed but actually compared to the much more expensive liquid stocks where if you look at what's on the ingredients in some of those the ingredients list is far longer than Mm. the powder which and the powder is much cheaper so don't necessarily be guided by price or even the beautiful photo of the chicken on the front label (laughs) really if you can if it's a staple like that you that you're going to buy for many years to come, take the extra minute if you can to turn over the label and look at how many ingredients are actually in the product. Yeah, adding to that, I think the the process of looking back at the ingredients list might sound a bit a lot of work, but as mm. you said, after a while we kind of buy the certain types of foods we are used to. So you do it once, twice, and mm. then you know already the products that are good. Jimmy's in Calcalo. Hi, Jimmy. G'day, how are you? Good mate. G'day, Jimmy. What do you want to say? Um, I'm 18 years of old, which might shock you. It's the ABC. <laughs> but, um, no, I Core think that there's a massive... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think there's a massive correlation between how old you are, the food that you eat, mm. and how happy you are. I'm mm. probably the happiest bloke you'd ever meet, and I eat lots and lots and lots of fruit. Kiwi fruit, banana, mango, the whole thing. And I don't eat much processed food at all. And why, and is, why is that, some, Jimmy? Why do you think that you... Why do you I eat less than your peers? I suppose it's the way I was raised. I've I've got a lot of information about healthy eating, and um, like my mother grows her own bananas and apricots, oh, wow. apples, the whole thing. <laughs> so um, I think that um, a lot of my peers who would rather eat a Macca's six pack nugget mm. rather than eat a healthy kiwi fruit or apple uh, are worse off. They're lethargic. Mm. They they have no energy. They feel depressed and things like that. But rather me, I'll wake up at 6am every morning, work done <laughs> up till sundown. Come on, I want to go and hang out with Jimmy. Really, this no. sounds like fun. What a great life. <laughs> Jimmy is right, though. Jimmy, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Food and mood. It, you do feel depressed if we eat too much. Yeah, isn't it? And I, there are a lot of things in ultra-processed foods that, are, that can explain why... Um, they impact our mood. Mm. So the ingredients of ultra-processed foods, those uh, additives, particular artificial sweeteners and emulsifiers, they can inflame or they stress our gut microbiota. And the gut microbiota is, uh, is where the good bacteria live. And mm. this, they are so important to balance our health and well-being. And they are well-connected with our brain as well. So when they are stressed and inflamed, they can produce... Um, chemicals that are not so good for us mm. and this well the gut is our yeah. well, it's yeah. called our second brain second yeah. brain exactly yeah and so i guess if the if those other elements are shutting down the good mm. parts of that brain then when and often when you when you 
not eating a lot of fruit and vegetables, you feel the effects straight away. You know, what you were talking about before coming home from a holiday. Um, You know, you feel lethargic and and that can often be due to a lack of fibre, a lack of vitamins and minerals, which you feel pretty much instant, well, you feel very quickly. But what this study that um, uh, Dr. Machado's led and, and, uh, you know, really shows is a link to depression itself, which is quite different from feeling down. So I just want to make sure that 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 distinction is really clear to the listeners. We're not talking about sort of, you know, food making us feel average or feel guilty or feel a bit lethargic and sluggish that can absolutely happen and that can just happen after a big meal let's be honest what what this study is showing is actually an increase in depression which is you know a very serious medical condition it's a very serious mental health condition that affects many australians and has quite a significant impact on you know your quality of life even sometimes employment, your ability of to course. go to school, all sorts of things. So the the link is just, you know, so is that it's just very going to deep be and very serious. another link, but we don't see any reform. We don't see any change. We don't see healthier options made more affordable, more accessible. We don't see any changes well, to labelling. I think we have to, you know, we have to be optimistic. Uh, th- this study really shows something that I don't think many people know, and I certainly wasn't taught at med school, that, um, yes, we know that ultra-processed foods increased intake of you know foods high in salt fat and sugar um, are associated with diabetes or heart disease but to show that it's so closely linked to our mental health and to something that affects one in two australians across their life uh, and 20 percent of australians at any one time something that is really having a huge impact that we've had royal commissions on here in victoria into the mental health system and how we support people I think this is an important study because it shows we need to have a conversation, a much more serious conversation about, you know, if we're we're going to invest in improving the mental health of young people and young people showed up really strongly in this study, um, then we need to also look at the food that's available, affordable uh, for young people as part of that puzzle. And I think I can push people back to a previous show that we've spoken about, Sandro, where we're only just starting to take the concept of prevention Mm. really seriously Mm. and what prevention actually could save us and what not having good preventative medicine or uh, access to health, to whether it be to exercise, to healthy food, what that's actually costing us Mm. as a state. Dr Priscilla Machado is with you as is Dr. Sandro DeMeo. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Alison Hodge is a Principal Research Fellow at the Cancer Epidemiology Division of the Cancer Council of Victoria and has also been working uh, alongside Priscilla and others on this particular research. Alison, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. As someone that works within the cancer sector, what changes would you like to see around access to ultra-processed food? Good morning, Michelle. Um, Nice to be here and talking about this important topic. The Cancer Council at this stage doesn't have any particular um, position on ultra-processed foods because we're still waiting for more research before we um, come out with anything specific. But if you look at our guidelines for what is good to eat to prevent cancer, plenty of fruit and vegetables and legumes and fruit and whole grains and not processed meat and avoiding saturated fat and salt and sugar and soft drinks. Um, You're sort of already getting to a diet that's tending to be lower in ultra-processed foods and we think that's good for everyone. Would you like to see stricter guidelines so that it is made simpler for consumers? It would be helpful if 
people, yes, were somehow able to identify these ultra-processed foods more easily because really, as people have already been saying this morning, you have to uh, look at the ingredient list and if you see a whole lot of things that you don't know what it means, then it's probably ultra-processed. Mm. But we know that people don't do that because it's time and effort and, yeah. And I think over don't. the decades things change don't they lots of people have been referring back to their grandparents and what they've been taught but even something as simple as processed meat so mm. once upon a time you'd probably take a ham sandwich <laughs> for lunch you know every day and not think twice about it now we're starting to understand even more around processed mm. meats Alison have you you in your work would have noticed a big shift like that yes well processed meats have been identified is potentially carcinogenic for quite a while now. So there's a group called the International Agency for Research in Cancer who are based in Lyon, and I'm going there in a couple of weeks, so I'm very excited about <laughs> that. But um, they study specific food items and chemicals in food and stuff, and they, quite a while back, and I can't remember exactly when, but... 10 years or more ago have probably identified mm. processed meat as potentially carcinogenic. So that is on the list of things that the Cancer Council says to eat less of and the World Cancer Research Fund guidelines also specifically say that. Mm. But I don't think that necessarily comes out in general dietary guidelines. That's a really great example as well when we think about red meat or even pork. So I, I grew up in an Italian family. Every every year we would kill the pig in June. And traditionally, my grandma, my nonna, would eat pig once a year because you would kill the pig and then you'd have the fresh meat and then the salami and then the prosciutto and those sorts of things. Eventually it would run out and then you'd have no more pork until the next year when you killed one pig. So, you know, if you think about ultra-processed versus minimally processed versus um, sort of midway, you would have started non with... Non-processed. Yeah, non-processed. Non <laughs> so, you, so you would have started, you know, a piece of a pork chop, for example, it's not processed. Then you take that and you salt it in a traditional method, as we've been doing for hundreds of years, with no use of nitrates or other kind of added chemicals. Uh, that would be, you know, somewhat processed, but we also ate very little of it for mm. a long, long time. About 30, 40 years ago, though, the food industry found ways of breaking the meat down into small pieces, adding gelatins and stabilisers, adding mm. flavours and colours, and then they put it all back together into this product, which actually is less like ham that we ate 30 or 40 years ago, which is just a brined meat product. You just literally take a piece of meat. I mean, most people know how ham's made. You take a piece of meat and you boil it in salt and then you carve it up and it's, the salt preserves it. That's actually you know, not terribly processed. What, they, what, what we find, though, nowadays very mm. often, including bacon, and we've had a couple of callers about, is that they literally take the, the meat, they break it down into tiny little pieces, add a whole lot of other um, stuff along the way, and then build it back into a product, stick it together, and, and it, what, looks, <laughs> what looks like kind of the same you know, grandmother's ham, and so-called. That's why people are confused. But actually is a very different product. And it shows how confusing yeah. this whole area is and why again we need better and clearer labeling to say pork chop you know it's not processed go ahead and eat that but the the product that's been literally broken down into its pieces and built in a little in laboratory and actually 
designed to make our brains do all Think. sorts of weird and wonderful yeah. things and want to eat more, as Dr Machado said before. These things are actually designed to even make us over-consume them. It's built into the way they're built. Those things yeah. need better labelling. Just yeah. finally, Alison, would you like to see stricter labelling? Yeah, I think that would be good. I just wanted to point out too that you know, we've done a lot of work on the Mediterranean diet and as Sandra said, processed meat or home processed meat is a part of that. But it's all about the quantity too. Mm. Like um, a small amount of tasty processed meat in a dish with vegetables mm. and grains and so on is a different thing to a ham sandwich that I had recently that my daughter brought home from her work which had an inch of ham in between the bread and it was like a year's worth of processed meat at one time so <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's about different. understanding that as well yeah exactly yeah, Alison, thank you so much Alison Hodge principal research fellow at the cancer epidemiology division at the cancer council of Victoria I think Alison gave a good example about Mediterranean diets and as other uh, traditional mm, diets like traditional Japanese diets, diets the um, a Mexican diet or other vegetarian diets, they are so culturally different, but what they have in common is that they have lower amounts of ultra-processed foods and mm. lower amounts of meat as well. So that's what makes them so healthy. Mm. So, and you notice that yourself too when you're travelling and even travelling throughout parts of Asia or parts of Thailand. Mm. I remember speaking to locals and they're like, well, no, we don't eat meat like you Aussies do. We only have it for special occasions. There's no way it would be every day but we right. are seeing that change i remember in my teens becoming vegetarian and my dad thought well he said to me so what do you eat because he actually imagined us taking the chop off the side of the plate and all i was left with was peas and mashed potato mm. so we have changed but i think once convenience comes into it once cost comes into it and just the amount of food and, and the labeling that goes alongside it mix in the yarrow valley he says this is why truckers are such a grumpy lot and i'm one yeah Mick raises a really good point. Yeah, though. really good point. Access, especially if you're someone that travels a lot to healthy food. There's an incredible family that run a fast food outlet in Rainbow uh, who serve curries, traditional curries. I've heard about this. Yes. Yeah. And people now just come not for petrol. <laughs> <laughs> but for the curry. They come. But, but it's a good point. I mean, whether you're a truckie, you know, and you need somewhere to stop or whether you're a family driving to and from, you know, an hour on the freeway each day, where are the healthier food options if you're wanting to eat something that's affordable, nutritious and quick? It, it is increasingly difficult. And that's why I think we need to, again, take the judgment out of the conversation, acknowledge that this is a big problem that's affecting lots of, lots of Australians, and then really think about what can we change to make it easier. Hi all, this is such a great conversation. The marketing of processed food is a major problem, especially to young families. Look at the marketing that's high in sugar, yogurts, individual squeezy packs. I cringe whenever I see kids eating them. That's from D. So are you confused? Do we even know what processed food is anymore? This is the Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt with you in the studio, Dr. Sandro DeMayo. Of course, you'd know him as the CEO of Vic Health. And Dr. Priscilla Machado, Research Fellow at the Institute for Physical Activity and Nutrition at Deakin University. Before we have a chat with Professor Gary Sachs about labelling and changes we'd like to see, Priscilla, 
what's happening in other places around the globe with good solutions? Who can we learn from? Great. So uh, Latin American countries are leading the way in this space. Uh, the concept of ultra-processed food was developed in Brazil mm. and it influenced a lot the policies in, in Brazil to start and then other South American countries. So Brazil was the first country to include ultra-processed foods in the dietary guidelines, which is a key policy to inform all the policy actions. Wow. So for instance, in Brazil, um, the school meal program, I don't know mm. if you've heard about that, they offer meals for more than 23 million kids every wow. day. So kids in Brazil from the public schools, they are fed at these schools. And That's something you want yeah, to see, Sandra. Yeah. Yeah. It is a pet, yeah. pet, pet, pet <laughs> Thank you, Rochelle. <laughs> and they just approved a law in which which they can spend only 20% of the budget on ultra-processed foods. So that's going to have a massive impact on the quality of diets there. And other countries have incorporated the concept into the the dietary guidelines, like Peru, Uruguay, Ecuador, but also in the labeling system, which I think we're going to talk about. But I mean, it, it, these. So that's the thing, Rochelle. I mean, solutions exist. We don't have to reinvent the wheel in Australia. We're not trying to like cut new ground that no one's done. There just are countries, too much money amazing countries. Is that the problem? Is there too many big companies making too much money from this? Well, I think part of it is there is a lot of confusion, and I, I, I do think that some of that confusion has been purposefully created to kind of stop us having a, an important conversation mm-hmm. like this. I think absolutely there are companies making a lot of money, but. You know, ultimately, it, it does require a loud community voice uh, and governments to to take action. And, and not all of it's about... I mean, I think that's the other thing that Dr Machado made a really good point. Not all of it's about banning or taking things away. I mean, that's a great example. School food programs or at least having guidelines around what is served in schools... I don't think there'd be many Victorians or Australians oh, who would say, that's let's get rid idea. of ultra-processed foods or let's yeah. really minimise the, yeah. um, the, the amount of ultra-processed foods being served in our schools. Give kids the best start in life. Even if you think adults are free to make their own choices, you know, let's, let's really make sure that kids get the best start. I mean, the education, your, your, your ability to then learn would be increased as well. Professor Gary Sachs is from the Public Health Policy at Deakin University as well. And Gary, you've been listening to a lot of this. We haven't left you a lot of time, but when it comes to labelling, people are confused. We cannot keep up with the text. People think they're doing the right thing. It's really hard to read the back of labels. We're seeing policy and labelling changes happening overseas. What are, say, the two top things we could do when it comes to labelling to make it easier for us to know if we're eating processed or not? Uh, thanks, Rochelle. And, and so, uh, what the previous um, comments are correct in saying is that there's a lot we can learn from overseas. So, several countries around the world have now mandated warning labels on unhealthy products. So, these are, um, I'm not sure if, if, if you've discussed them today, but they're, they're like stop signs, large mm. stop signs on the front of the pack. Wow. Um, yeah. and, big black stop um, signs. Which, so, there's a proper which, warning, big warning labels. Mm. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's right. Chile and, and yeah. Mexico. Mexico, yeah. Um, there's really good evidence from uh, countries like Chile and Mexico that show that these labels are working as planned. People mm. um, understand what they mean and they're changing their shopping habits mm. um, in response. The key is that um, it's, it's mandatory, so food companies don't get a choice mm. whether they, they put these labels, the warning labels on. And also it's really simple, easy for people to understand. It doesn't require a degree mm. to analyse the, the nutrition information at the back of the pack. But isn't that interesting? So when you put a label right on the front of the packet 
for consumers saying this warning, this product is ultra processed. They don't consumers need it. eat something else or they eat less of it. I mean, it makes so much sense. So how is it that it can change overseas but not here, Gary? What's the difference, do you think? So that's a critical question. Uh, and it, it, honestly, it comes down to government leadership. Um, so in, in those countries, the politicians are really serious about tackling this massive problem of unhealthy diets, and they're willing to, to legislate to, to help mm. uh, the people in their country. Um, in Australia, we haven't had that strong political will to, to make these, these evidence-based changes. Why? I mean, because we know we have so many different forms of health crisis in this country, whether it be obesity, we look at mental health, and a lot of it comes back to prevention and healthy diets. What's it going to take, do you think, Gary? Well, you mentioned the, the power of the food industry, and I think uh, in Australia, as in a, a whole lot of countries, um, perhaps not all countries, the food industry strongly opposes any kind of regulation that might hurt their profits. So um, in Australia, it's, it's going to take um, government leaders who, who are prepared to stand up to the food industry um, and, and put the health mm. of the population uh, first. Well, that's what I wrote down. The difference is that over in, in the other parts of the world, the politicians take this seriously. Gary, thanks so much for your insights. It's been really good to speak with you. And the idea that it's not taken seriously here, it's concerning and it's affecting people's health. It's affecting people's mental health as well. What's the next stage of the research for you, Priscilla? I mean, what, oh, our first thing says, what do you want done with the current alarming research that you've just released? Yes, I think one of the reasons why action has been taken at, in Australia as well is that they justify not having enough evidence for the Australian population. So that's my focus of my research, is expanding on the um, evaluation of ultra-processed foods in different uh, population groups, particularly in those disadvantaged, because we've seen that ultra-processed food consumption is higher among the young and also people from mm. lower income and lower education levels. Mm. So what are the risks at this population? And also advancing on how we can improve communication on ultra-processed foods um, to inform government yeah. and labeling. And ourselves. Systems. And there's so many texts that there's no way I could read them out. But this one I have to because it's one of my particular favorite foods. And I want to know the question to this as well. Chickpeas are healthy, but is commercial hummus healthy? And that's a really good question because if you flick over, every hummus is not the same. And that's just mm. one example of you can put chickpeas on the Not all hummuses are created equal. Not all hummuses <laughs> are created equal. Can, can we make a T-shirt with that? <laughs> we need it. We need it. Think, but that's... Yeah, the so it would vary it. hummus to hummus. Again, turn it over, look what's in the packet. If you can make it yourself, you can make large batches and freeze it. But, you know, that's not possible for a lot of people. Look for products that contain, you know, fewer ingredients and try to find products mm. where you can pronounce all of the ingredients where possible. We've done shows, Sandra, you and I, on whether or not we design our cities to make us unhealthy. We've also looked into obesity. There are so many different topics where we haven't covered an element of it today. There will be a conversation hour where we have. So go back through the Listen app, subscribe to the conversation hour and you can go back through some of our previous programs. Dr Priscilla Machado, it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to have you in the studio today. The research that you're doing is incredible. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you very much. It was great. Thanks, Sandra. And as always, Dr Sandra DeMayo, thank you. My name's Rich 
Michelle Hunt. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow we're looking at the digital divide, so connectivity for those that are living in regional Victoria. Where is it at? Speak to you then. Take care.